through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I've been doing this 30 years. I know a lot of can't do churches. I know a lot of can't do people. I know a lot of can't do Baptists. The Apostle Paul is in prison. This is a prison epistle. And what Paul is saying is, I can do all things. Now, we often take famous verses and we like to quote them. Unfortunately, we often quote them out of content. Uh, this is one we often do. For example, uh, can my football team win next week? Man, we can do all things through Christ. Well, the reality is there's Christians on the other football team too. And they may be saying the same. Both teams are not going to win. Or for example, uh, we'll take a verse like Jeremiah 29, 11, which is an awesome verse. God speaks to Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you, plans for a future and for a hope. And so uh, what we do, we take out content and someone says, you know, I've got a job interview tomorrow. I know I'm going to get it because God says he has a future and hope. The problem is there may be a hundred Christians applying for that job. They're not all going to get the job. Uh, God is telling Jeremiah, you're in Babylonian captivity. Don't be discouraged. Your ministry is not over. In fact, the nation of Israel is not going to end in Babylonian captivity. And because God says that, can I tell you something? I may go to the doctor tomorrow. The doctor may say, you've got cancer. Can I tell you? Sometimes Christians die of cancer. Uh, sometimes Christians lose jobs. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. Uh, that's a very specific verse. The Holy Spirit may take that verse and say, just like I told Jeremiah, you're going to overcome the cancer. And by the way, if God says you're going to survive the cancer on earth, you know how we know it's true? You're going to survive the cancer. God is always correct. So the apostle Paul's in prison, and when he says, I can do all things through Christ. He, he says all things. Paul, can you be joyful in a prison? Can do. Paul, if you have someone spit in your face, can you still rejoice? Can do. Paul, if for some reason the Roman Empire does not release you this time, and I will tell you, he's going to be released this time. There will come a day when the Roman Empire will have him executed. You know what he says? Paul, Paul, if they decide to kill you tomorrow like they're thinking about, how do you feel? I'll quote his words. How do I feel? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If Paul served on one of your teams here, Paul, can, can Briarcliff grow? Can do. Can we really fill the building? Can do. Can, in 2017, in this part of Atlanta, can you really reach people? Can do. And what is a famous verse, the reality is it is seldom lived in the life of folks. So I'm going to tell you, we, we get around, don't know what we're going to do. You never see Jesus saying, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. You never see Paul saying, uh, Paul, how do you feel? Oh, man, I'm in prison. I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. In fact, if you read the whole epistle in chapter 1, you find some people who are visiting him. And we're going to make an assumption here because we don't have all the information. Undoubtedly, they were discouraged. They, they weren't quite as strong as Paul. And Paul looks at them. They're on the outside of the bars. He's on the inside. He encourages them. He says, I want you to know that what you think is bad, why it has happened in the sovereignty of God that the kingdom might have a furtherance of the gospel. And by the way, uh, 2,000 years later, aren't you glad that Paul was in prison? Uh, because what an awesome verse. If I looked at you today and said, the apostle Paul is in the home of a billionaire. He's living extravagantly. He's driving uh, the best chariot of his day. He's eating the finest food, and Paul's happy. What do you think about it? You say, well, shoot, I'd be happy too. But when you say in the midst of a church that's rather empty this morning, can I have joy? Can do. Can I still witness? Can do. Can I still worship? Can do. Can I still smile? By the way, Paul is rejoicing in a 
damp, dark prison. Some of us may not smile this whole service in a padded pew, in an air-conditioned sanctuary, a roof that keeps the rain overhead. And as far as we know, no threat today of the state of Georgia arresting us for worshiping or executing us. So I want to look at this passage today. We understand that Paul had the can-do attitude. Listen to it from the Amplified Bible. Paul says this. And, and, and by the way, when you take Scripture, and I grew up in church, and you read this, I don't think anything of it unless I take a step back and let God speak to my heart. I don't look at Paul the way I might look at you. What if you went to work tomorrow and you asked someone, hey, uh, you think you can live for Jesus? And they said, can do. What if you looked at somebody, what if somebody came to your Bible study the day and, and you said, how your Christian life going? How's it going? Man, there's absolutely nothing in the state of Georgia that I cannot do in Jesus. You know what you'd be tempted to do? You'd be tempted to kind of walk away from that and I'd be tempted to say, Ginger, that, that dude's kind of arrogant, isn't he? he? He's full of himself. Man, she, she's got a highly uh, view of who she is. But the Apostle Paul says, there is absolutely no situation that I cannot maintain the maturity of the Lord Jesus. And the, in the Amplified Bible, he says this. He says, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for absolutely anything, and I'm equal for anything that comes my way. Isn't that amazing? I'm equal through him who gives me strength. He infuses inner strength into me. And here's one of those paradoxes in Scripture. He says, that is, he's summing up what he just said, that is, I am self-sufficient because I'm sufficient in Christ. You know what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, uh, I love you, brother, but if you don't encourage me, I'm still going to be encouraged. Why? Because the sufficiency of Jesus lives in me. Ultimately, he's the encourager. Ultimately, he's the strength. Ultimately, he's the power. He, he, he thanks the Philippians earlier for giving a financial gift. But four or five verses after the one I just read, he's going to say, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. What Paul is saying is, I thank you because I ought to thank you. And you ought to be thanked. But the truth is, you didn't give me that gift you were the channel through which the source decided to flow. And whether you gave it or not, Paul is saying, ultimately God would have done what he wanted to do to keep me doing what he wants me to do. And, and so Paul is saying, uh, I am absolutely sufficient. So again, you see some of the more, how you doing? I'm self-sufficient. What do you mean by that? Well, I'm self-sufficient because of the sufficiency of Jesus. What he's saying is this, and it's a theme through Paul's uh, Life and ministry. He, he says it differently in Galatians 2.20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Then a contradiction almost. But I'm living. Well, not really me living. But the resurrected Christ is living through me. What he's saying is this. And, and if you ever grasp this, it totally changes everything about your ministry. Totally changes everything about your life. Paul is saying, there is no demand that is ever made on me when I'm in the will of God. That is not ultimately a demand made on the Lord Jesus Christ. I would tell the next pastor who comes here, if, whenever he comes, I would tell him you ought never be discouraged because if you're in the will of God, there is no demand that is made on you as Pastor Briarcliff that is not ultimately made on the life of the Lord Jesus Christ who lives in you. You say, how does that work out? Now, true story. Uh, someone calls me, and, that, and people don't know this. Somebody calls you, and you're in your office. 
Pastor Steve, they say in a broken voice, 18-year-old son just died in a car wreck. Well, you know, you're going to say, oh, you don't say, oh, my goodness. You don't say, you just, you minister. But you hang up that phone, you know what you do? I don't know how everybody does this. This is my method. Immediately, I hit that left knee. Don't have to be the left knee. Don't even have to bow. You can pray in your chair. But, and I'll say, Lord, who am I? What can you say? I'm about to go to a house. And then, because of what Paul says, you understand, Lord, the demand of a teenager dying is not a demand made on my wisdom. It's not a demand made on my finances. It's not a demand made on uh, my strength. It is a demand made on the resurrected Jesus living in me because I'm going somewhere representing you. I'm an ambassador of Christ. And so as I go to this house that's going to be broken, as I go to a house that's just heard the worst news they've ever heard, I'm going to go by faith believing that you are able to do anything that you want to. And what happens? What happens is you don't drive over there dreading. You drive over there saying, I am but a spectator with a front seat view of what God wants to do. Well, we know Paul had this. How do we have it? I'll tell you three little things today. First is this. If you're going to have this can-do attitude, and I'm just going to tell you again, uh, if Paul was here, I promise you, if I said, if I said Christ overcomes, you know, he wouldn't be like most of us. He'd be like, yes. He would look like you looked yesterday if you're a college football fan, wouldn't he? I mean, really. Uh, he, 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 he would look like the portrait of the picture. And I, I'll tell you, I don't mind getting older. I mean, that's just, I've enjoyed every stage of life I've ever lived. I don't mind not looking exactly like I looked when I first got married. It's no, no big deal. I'm highly convicted if Jesus looked at this and said, you know, you don't look a thing like the picture of the Christian life, the victorious, overcoming, joyful, I would say peaceful. It is peaceful, but it's more than that. Paul says it's a peace that passes human Understanding. So when you preach on peace, the truth is you have to put a disclaimer. I really can't tell you all about it because the Bible says it passes the wisdom of human understanding to even know about all the peace of God. And so how do we have this kind of a can-do attitude? Uh, first is this. You must delight yourself in the presence of the Lord. Now, I carefully choose that because if I said you ought to read your Bible every day, here's the problem. The Pharisees read their Bible. Uh, the problem is, I read my Bible before I got saved. But before I got saved, I did not delight in the presence of the Lord because I could not as an unbeliever. And so you must delight. Psalms 37, uh, David says uh, that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Uh, let me read something that David says in Psalms 63 just to show you uh, his experience. I look at David and say, David... How's your devotion life? How's your spiritual life? Listen to what David says. God, he's my God. Early will I seek him. Now, there's a thing about this. You go to work tomorrow and you have a Christian friend. You say, hey, man, how's your devotion life? More than like, us. Oh, sorry. I've, I've, I've missed a few days reading the Bible. Uh, David, how's your walk with God? Oh, man, how's my walk with God? Now, I don't, that's why I see it here because I haven't been here very long. Uh, but when I do enters in churches, I can tell you, I just came out of church. But this is true of any church. Uh, every Sunday, you know what you find? 
Uh, for example, the church I was at not too long ago, uh, I happened to wear a red shirt. Did just, uh, for no other reason, I got up and just reached and got, wore, wore a red shirt like I've got on the day, but it was red, and ha- had a black vest on. And immediately, thank you, Pastor. Man, those bulldogs did good yesterday. And I'm thinking, I, I'm glad they did, but actually it's just half asleep, just kind of reached in there and got some, came to church, worship God. But David says, God, you're my God. You know why? Because the little impotent walk most of us have ain't going to kill Goliath. And it ain't going to get you reaching for five stones and running towards the problem. You're going to be running away. God, you're my God. Early while I seek you, listen, think about putting your perspective. How's your devotion life? Next, next phrase, my soul Thirst for God. I'm thirsty. I'm just put it, put it in 2017. Tomorrow you say, how's it going with you? How's it going? Man, I'm thirsty for God. You, you, you might walk away thinking, hmm. Now, now I probably see some people that are, how you doing? Man, since Clemson won, I'm doing good. How you doing? Terrible. What's wrong? Oklahoma got beat. My soul thirsts for you. I hunger for your presence. And so when I say you must delight in the Lord, I don't mean a little impotent, anemic type of walk with God uh, because an anemic walk with God won't put you in a prison of Philippi saying, can do, I can rejoice. It'll put you in a prison somewhere and you'll say, well, I'm a missionary. Why would God let this happen to me? It'll put you in bitterness. It'll put you with anger. It'll put you with frustration. It will put you with can't do. Well, you know, in our day, you just you can't do. Well, you know, it's different that you just can't. I know God says this, but, it, it, you know, that was 2,000 years ago. This is 2017. Culture has changed. Now, how do we delight in the Lord? A couple quick things. First of all, I, I, I begin to read the Scripture. I begin to get in Scripture, and I begin to see what God is saying. And what happens is I begin to pray with an open heart. Those are the two things. I begin to read Scripture, and I pray for God to open my eyes, which is a very, very strong prayer. You know why? Because he'll do it. And so sometimes I'm reading, and uh, Lord, what, what, what do you want to say to my heart? And God says, I want you to know you're that Pharisee. Really? Now, I don't like that kind of devotion, but sometimes he does. I, I, I'll read the story of David and Goliath. Lord, speak to my heart. And I love it when God says, hey, You've been living like a David. Now, I'm arrogant about it, but thank you, boy. Thank you, Lord. Sometimes, though, he'll say, you're kind of like the Israeli army. You all dress for battle, but you just all talk. You, you talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk. I don't like that. And I'll tell you what's real convicting. I read David and Goliath. And again, I don't just read it and rush to work. I read it. God, sh- shine your spotlight on my heart. And God says, you know, uh, you remind me of Goliath. You keep on standing. And by the way, in the way of God, you, you have been a Goliath before too. We all have. You might be a Goliath right now. It's bad to be a Goliath. It's sad when you're too stupid to know you're Goliath. That, 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 that's the sad part of life. And I read Scripture by faith, believing. I just find it strange. Believing. A little old office. I live in Lilburn. A little old office. I mean, Lilburn, Georgia. What's Lilburn, Georgia? That the God of the universe steps in that basement office and speaks words of life. Isn't that an amazing thing? He speaks the greatest word. 
that humans have ever heard. His grace and his love. And then there's two things that happen. And you better hang on this. You better hang on. We all need to hang on. You better hang on. Uh, because of the place you are as a church. You better hang on. I mean, it's, 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 the illness not very full. It's not very many people here. You better hang on this. There's two things that happen when I read Scripture. Two things I have to do. Number one, and when I give you these two questions you have to answer, don't, don't be too quick to answer. Because you're going to be quick to say, oh, I believe that. Now, I'm not saying just intellectual. There's two things I'm going to have to do. I, I must do it. If I'm going to be like an Apostle Paul, no matter what comes my way, I'm able to say, can do. I'm able to say, Christ is my sufficiency. First question I answer is this. Is God really who he says he is? Now, you're in church. Yes, he is. Now, I don't mean, don't be too quick. Do you live your life on a foundation? The, way, the reason Paul can say, can do, is because he believed God is really who he says he is. Well, you know, if God is really who he says he is, and I believe he is, he's a pretty awesome God, isn't he? I mean, you think about how awesome God is, and I understand we can't comprehend all that God is. Paul himself talks about the mysteries of God. We don't know about God. We, our mind can't comprehend everything in this life about God. But just what we can comprehend, he's an awesome God. Can, is God really who he says he is? And second thing is this. Can God do what he says he can do? Now, in church, true and false, uh, be true. Yeah, but I can say it's true and be hooked on pornography. I can say it's true and have a bad marriage. I can say it's true and live a life of being fearful and trembling. Paul answered yes to the most question. And in a prison in Philippi, was able to say with chains on, I can do all things through Christ. Lots of food. I can eat lots of food. No food? Can do. Hey, what if they beat you tomorrow? Can do. What if it's good tomorrow? Can do. What, what if you get out of prison and preach again? Can do. What if you don't ever get out of prison? Can do. What, what if folks show up to encourage you? Can do. What if no one encourage They all forsake you? Can do. The sufficiency of Jesus. And second thing is this. Uh, not only do we uh, delight ourselves in the presence of God, we've got to defer to the plan of God. It's a hard thing to do. What I used to find myself doing as I matured, I didn't realize why I was doing it, I would think of these plans that sounded spiritual. Then I'd say, all right, God, make it happen. You ever do that? Well, what that is, that's a concept of God. Didn't know what I was doing, but looking back, God is my servant. He's my taxi cab driver. He's my bellboy. In other words, here's what I want, God. Go do it. Get it done. When you read Scripture, the pattern is you don't tell God what to do. He tells you. Mary doesn't wake up and say, yeah, Think I'd like to be part of a virgin birth. <laughs> Noah doesn't wake up and say, you know, uh, I think it'd be neat if it rained. It never rained. It got water from the dew. I think it'd be great if there's a big flood. I'd like to build me an ark. David doesn't get up and say, you know what would be fun today? I wish a 10-foot-tall man would challenge me and try to kill me. I think, I think that'd be awesome today. <laughs> Gideon doesn't say, you know what would really make my day? If I could take about 300 men who are not trained and fight a highly trained army of 120,000 men. That would just be a blast today. Instead, God comes in and says, I have an assignment. 
I am master. You're the slave. I'm the boss. You're the one who obeys the boss. And, and so we have to defer to the plan of God. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 6, famous verse. Jesus says, verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, now the word seek in, in Greek is a very aggressive word. Uh, and give an example. If I left here today and reached in my pocket to pull out my keys and uh, had a dollar bill in there, I said, hey, I've lost that dollar bill. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Since it's raining, probably wouldn't even bother to come back and say, so you know, I bet when I reached in my pocket during the worship service, I, I bet that dollar bill fell out. I bet it's best underneath that first pew. I, I, wouldn't, I probably wouldn't even come back. It was a $5 bill. It wasn't raining. I probably might would at least seven churches, kind of quick look. I, but I would not live up to the Greek word. If it was a $100 bill, I would seek for it. Would you? I, 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 would, I, mean, I would seek. And, and if I didn't find it, if someone you were around, I'd probably say, hey, if you happen to find a $100 bill, I lost one, be glad to get it back. Seek first. Uh, what a lot of us do, we got this morning, and it's like we lost a dollar bill. We looked in Scripture and drunk coffee, and, and five minutes like, what did you just read? Oh, well, oh, you didn't seek it, did you? I saw it like a $5 bill. We looked a little bit more, a little bit, an hour later. What did God tell you? Huh? What did you just? But some of us, we, we search. It's like, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's life. I mean, we just, we, we're just, we're looking because we know there's a living God who can change everything. Paul was a seeker. He sought God. And the conclusion is, again, you're in prison. Some of you more discouraged in Atlanta than Paul was 2,000 years ago in prison. I mean, think about this. Every team you have is made up of can-do people. And those who are not quite as mature who come to church, what are we going to do? I don't know, but God can, God can do it. Uh, what's the next step? I don't know every step. I just know we've got to be faithful where we are. Uh, what about a year from now? And we talk with all kind of fear. Uh, we don't know about a year from now. All we know is God is leading us right now. Here's what he wants us to do. It totally changes your church, doesn't it? Because, because you can't stop a guy. You can't stop a woman. Who every time you throw something your way. And, and by the way, this is what we do. A young person says, I'm going to be a witness. What do we do? Eh, you know, that sounds good. But when you get in that algebra class, they don't all want to hear it. 25-year-old gets saved in church and they work in your office. And well, I'm going to start trying to influence people to Jesus. Well, you know, I know you mean well. But you know, and what we're saying is, listen, we're glad you got saved. But that Bible, it, it's okay in the stained glass window. But you go downtown Atlanta and work in that corporate office, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there. And most of you tell the truth would say in your Christian life, anytime you've ever had a goal of advancing, you're here and you're like, I believe there's a higher goal. There's always somebody. It could be a deacon, it could be a pastor, it could be anybody. Well, you mean, well, let me tell you five reasons why you can't grow a church in Atlanta today. Let me tell you 10 reasons why you'll probably never be a missionary. Let me tell you two reasons why your next door neighbor probably will never get saved. And the Apostle Paul, he just kept on coming back. Can do, can do, can do, can do. Everything thrown his way. He had an ultimate belief that God can do anything that God wanted to do. But by the way, the opposite of seek, if this will help you, 
is to kind of float through life. It's the person who's kind of, I don't seek anything. I just, I just kind of do like this. I float through life. And life has a strange way you float through it. And you, before you know it, you're over here and you're like, I, mean, I intended to be a witness in high school. I intended to be a disciple. In I intended to raise those children, but gosh, they're 40 and 50 now. Well, I intended, and, and you always intend, but because you didn't seek aggressively, you never became all that God wanted you to do. And the last thing is this. If I'm going to be a person who has a can-do type of spirit, you have to depend on the power of God. But, by the way, I pastor a church. I only pastored one full-time church in my life. I pastor a church that was traditional, kind of, I would say traditional, blended, but blended language towards traditional. And I remember going there, and children's church, I got down to about 40. And I even had staff members saying, you know, unless you're a contemporary, we never did that. Because I just didn't think it fit. Not anything wrong with it, just didn't think it fit where we were. I left after six years. We had about 400 in children's church. You know why? Can do. God, God, God can reach anybody anywhere, however he wants to reach him. And I used to tell my staff, if we can't do it this way, this is one of my favorite churches I would use, how does Jim Simbla at the Brooklyn Tabernacle reach 15,000 people a week? Because Snellville, Georgia, with all the problems you think we have, it ain't no Brooklyn, New York. Nobody even lives around his church. You know why? When the power of God gets on something, makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? When the power of God gets on and by the way, when you go to that church, it has a lot of poor people. Most of them don't live in houses. In fact, most of them don't live in a house, live in some kind of apartment or something, and most of them don't have nice apartments. 90% of the people don't have a car. They have to go through the subway. This may offend you, but every time I've ever been there, different than this morning, Man, there's people just, I mean, they're just, they ain't got nothing except one thing. They have the power of Jesus living in them. Isn't that an amazing thing? They have the power of Jesus. And, and they are so foolish from a human perspective. They're so foolish that they really believe that God can reach people in Brooklyn. I'll just put something in, in here for you. Jim, somebody's been there 30-some years. His first Sunday, I think there was 25 people there. They're so poor. They don't, they've relocated three times because they kept growing. They're so poor. True story. He's preaching. Kyle kind of preaching. He's preaching, but, but small, small, small buildings. Preaching. And as he looks over here, he hears a big noise. He looks over there, and somebody's on this side. The pew has broken, and that visitor fell on the carpet. And everybody told him, I wouldn't take that church. He's just supply preaching. I'm just, I wouldn't take. And he said, you know, but we're praying. And he said, probably what helped me, I've been to seminary. He said, probably what helped me is, I'd never been to seminary. I ain't know anything. All I knew to do was get on my knees and pray and trust God. And he said, in hindsight, probably what I thought was my greatest weakness and my greatest strength, because he said, I didn't know anything and kept the crowd to God and started a prayer meeting. You must depend on the power of God. And, and, and let me say this about depending on the power of God. We're not naive. You say, well, Paul and these guys, was he dense? No. By the way, he was a Renaissance man. Spoke about 10, 12 languages. Uh, you can read some of the writings outside of Scripture. Paul was famous in his day before he became a Christian. He was a well-known guy, a uh, smart guy. He wasn't dense. Uh, Paul's not saying, well, I'm not in prison. He knew he was in prison. He talks about, if you read the whole four chapters, he talks about being in chains. He talks about what's happened to him. He talks about trouble coming his way. He, he understands. Let me illustrate. If the Bible represented my circumstances, here's what Paul did. Paul kept circumstances here. Now, as I look at gender, I can see my Bible in the corner of my eye. I, I, if, I, if I didn't know it said Holy Bible, I couldn't read what's on the cover of it. 
but I can see my Bible in my hand. I can see the little red strings. I, I know it's there. What Paul did is, to be the can-do person, he depended on the power of God. What he did was, he lived his life and kept circumstances here. He wasn't naive. He, he, listen, if I, if I don't know my neighbor's loss, I can't pray for him or her. If I don't understand I, I'm suffering persecution, I don't know how to cooperate with God. If I don't understand the purpose of why God is allowing me to go through some suffering, I'm not going to learn anything. So, so, so you keep your circumstances here. He, he, he glanced over here, but he always gazed at Jesus. And so anytime Paul got around, unlike what we do, you know what we do? And I, I was bad. My first four or five years of ministry, I did this all the time. You know what I did? I reversed it. I gazed here. And I, I, and I knew God was there. I could see him. See him. When I'm looking here, I, I can see, see you just like that, that green shirt, teal shirt. I can see it, but I'm just glancing. And what Paul did is every situation, he, he, he would glance at the problem, and he'd keep gazing at Jesus. He'd keep gazing at Jesus. He kept gazing at Jesus. And what happens is, well, it's a miracle. What happens is the more he looked to Jesus as the author and finisher of his faith, and what happened? He looked like Jesus. Don't you want to look like Jesus? Read every word in the gospel about Jesus. Read everything you can about Jesus in the Bible. And you'll never see Jesus getting up saying, well, uh, disciples are going to go on a mission trip. The show is hot today. I don't really want to go. Well, disciples are going to go on a mission trip, but be honest with you, they they don't want to hear it. Ain't no miracles going to happen today. Jesus looked at everything from this perspective. I'm going to do what I do. Because it pleases the Father. I'm going to do what I do because this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to do what I do because God knows better than anybody else. So what happens is this. What happens is if I begin to look at the picture that God has created for me. And and the good thing about knowing this is this. Sometimes if I know I'm supposed to look like this, I get over here and I begin to think, you know, I don't think I look like the picture in this circumstance. I go back to the drawing board. You know, I, I think in this situation... By the way, I did this about six months ago. I talked to a young pastor, and I'd been preaching a lot, and I guess I was tired. No excuse, we just, just set up the, the scenario. And he said something. And uh, I replied. About two hours after I replied, I went somewhere else. God brought that back to me and said, you know, what he was saying to you is something I'm trying to burn in his heart. He's trying to do something that's going to take extreme faith. And you basically just threw some cold water on him. And so the next day I called him. I said, hey, I need to talk to you a minute. So you know you said this. He said, I, he said, yeah. I said, listen. I said, no excuse. I was tired of this. And I didn't say anything bad. I said, he said something. I said, yeah, good luck. That's going to be hard. That's going to be tough. I called him and said, you know, the reality is if you've been on your knees and the God of the universe who can speak light out of darkness, who can create a world from nothing. Job says this. Job said when God created the world, he, st- he stood on nothing. You know why? Because till he made them, there ain't nothing to stand on. He's God. He does what he stands where he wants and does what he wants to do. And I told that young pastor, I said, God reminded me something this morning. If God, this is just an afterthought in Psalms. I think it's in one, Psalms 147. It's almost like an afterthought. You read the whole psalm, it's just a little part. It says that God not only made the stars, but while he was at it, he named every star. 
We don't even know how many stars there are. I told him, I said, you know, if God knows the name of every star, he probably knows your name as a young pastor.